This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Swung on, hit high in the air, deep left field, back toward the wall. This ball's got a chance. Gone. It's not over yet. A two-run homer by Frank Schwindel. And it's an 8-6 to six ball game. Still nobody out. Don't go away. Sean, I swear you told me Frank Schwindel was an Olympian when we played Cub or Olympian earlier on the show. No, do I have that wrong? That's a Cub. That's a cup. He plays for the cup. All right. Yeah. You say he, so. He wasn't in the game. It was just Adam Morgan and Jake Jewell who you I'm got wrong. I, I do remember the name Frank Schwindel because that's a memorable name. I do know that. I do know that guy's a cub. You didn't bring him up in in Cub or Olympian when we played earlier. No, he was not in Cub okay. or Olympian. But I think he's been he's he's been mentioned on the station. I think sure. Spiegel and I mentioned him absolutely. a little bit earlier. Er, absolutely. Didn't they play on Parkins and Spiegel earlier this week? Cub or working on Parkins' house? <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> okay. I think Frank Schwindel came up, came up when they had when they played that game as well. Coming up, we'll talk some Bears with uh, Patrick Finley of the Sun-Times. He joins me at 1.30. But to continue the Cubs talk from CubsInsider.com, joining me now on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline, it is Evan Altman. Evan, thanks for the time, man. How are you this afternoon? Uh, you know what? I'm, do- I'm doing pretty well. I'm out at the ballpark. Uh, you know, not, not, uh, not Wrigley. But, you know, hey, we're watching a little youth fall ball, which is uh, actually the players out here are just about as recognizable as what we'll see in, in pinstripes tonight against the White Sox. <laughs> is Frank Schwindel out there playing first base? I'm assuming it's your kid's team, Evan. Is he, is he out there playing it for is, your kid's yeah. team? <laughs> yeah, no, Ryan Altman's out there on second base right now. Um, but uh, at least the first name is one Cubs fans will recognize. So I, I don't know. Maybe it's actually more recognizable than, than the guys the Cubs are playing. Evan, I think I talked to you shortly before the trade deadline about some some possibilities who might be going, who might be staying, and obviously what what played out played out, and pretty much pretty much everybody gone now except for Wilson Contreras. What was your reaction? Were you expecting it to be this complete a teardown ahead of the trade deadline? I really wasn't, you know, and I, and I know a lot of people say, oh, yeah, they were all going to be gone. But, you know, I was I guess it was it felt uh, the, the finality and sort of the anticlimactic finality of it. There wasn't really a whole lot of lead up to a lot of these guys, you know, especially with with Rizzo. We'd kind of heard the Red Sox maybe in pursuit. And all of a sudden it was like, hey, the Yankees are closing. Oh, he's gone. You know, and then it's like, oh, uh, bias to the Mets, gone. Mm-hmm. Brian to the Giants, just just so quick. And it just felt. I guess, it, of course, it was going to be unsatisfying either way, but it just was sort of like, oh, well, now they're gone, and hey, here's a game Friday night in, uh, against the Nationals, who also traded off all these people. It just was such a weird shift to have immediately moved away from all these guys who were such big parts of the team over the last several years. So 
Um, yeah, I mean, people could say they expected it, but it still felt like a gut punch regardless. When, when you removed the emotion from it, were you – now, we're, we're never going to be happy with, with trading those types of guys, but were, 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 you, did, were you happy with the return from a, from a baseball standpoint? Did you think that they, they got good value if we were going to move on from those guys? Yeah, I mean, I think when you, especially when you add in uh, the Andrew Chafin deal, uh, you know, Ryan Tapera, maybe a little bit less so, uh, but Craig Kimbrell in there. When you when you look at a team that was very obviously signaling its intent to sell well in advance of when they did, uh, when you talk about the limited amount of time those guys have left under their contracts, I think it's it's pretty easy to look at it. So you know, they they did about as well as what you could expect. Could they maybe have gotten a little bit better return here or there? Yeah, but I, I do think when you look at now the top 10 or 20 ranking in the farm system and, and how many of those players have recently come into the organization, it's hard to look at it and be too upset from a, from a purely pragmatic standpoint. Uh, of course, you could look at it and say, well, you know, gosh, I wish they would have found the money to have extended one or two of these guys earlier. But if you look at the choices that they said they, they had to make, uh, regardless of how, how much you actually believe that, yeah, I think the returns were pretty solid. Talking with Evan Altman of CubsInsider.com here. Rami Makloff with you on 670 The Score on a Sunday afternoon. And I, I think now now that those guys have been traded and all three obviously hitting the free agent market come this offseason, I've, I've noticed two camps in, 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 Cubs, in Cubs fandom, Evan, both on Twitter and when I'm doing these shifts here on The Score, which is there's one camp that, that still loves those guys and, and is loyal to those guys and wants to bring – at least one or two or, or all three of them back in free agency. And then I've actually taken a couple calls and, and texts and tweets here today that are going, man, it didn't, it didn't work with those guys. Why are we going to try and run it back with, with the same script and the same cast of characters? Do, do you think that's something – I know David Ross talked about a little bit. Do you think that's something that they're really eyeing, or is that just lip service for, for Cubs fans who, like I said, still, still has some, hold some loyalty for those guys? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think we could have accepted it as as possibly a real opportunity had maybe Jed Hoyer not come out closely afterwards and said some of the things he did. I mean, it and, and I know the engineers were a little bit raw, and, and I'm sure that was a difficult thing. But what he kind of threw those guys under the bus a little bit in terms of I don't know why they didn't want to resign. You know, we gave them these offers, and then when you hear those players publicly come out and say, "Well, that really wasn't the case." It, it doesn't really feel like the relationship is maybe as, as strong. And, uh, and and I think, you know, rarely do we see teams trade players away and then actually bring them back unless it's in the case of, I mean, our oldest Chapman is probably with the Yankees is probably the most high profile. Most of them you really don't see with guys who are looking to cash in fairly big in the free agent market. And with a team like the Cubs that may be considerably changing the way they kind of go about, uh, you know, their lineup approach and their overall roster it just doesn't feel like the fit is there for them to bring these guys back. So I'd, I'd love to see one or more of them back uh, with Chicago. I think the issue was not so much those players themselves, but the fact that they didn't really assemble the right complementary pieces to really have a balanced lineup. So, you know, you can look at the top three or four guys, but if you don't surround them, and when, when they're playing really well in May, that's when the rest of the contact bats were really stepping up, that injuries and everything else. So, yeah, I, I don't – I don't think there's a really good chance at all unless something shifts markedly in either of those players' beliefs or in the market or with how much money the Cubs are looking to spend. But I'm pretty sure they're all going to end up in different uniforms beyond this year. A couple things I want to ask you off of that. For for one, 
what happened to the Cubs organization? I remember Ryan when Ryan Dempster was traded, him sitting in the office playing video games, listening to the offers, and then bouncing offers and possible playing destinations off of him before making the deal. How did we get from there to you, Darvish, saying he was surprised by the deal, to 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 Jed Hoyer exchange, ex, exchanging barbs with Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo through the media. How how did we get to this? Was Theo Epstein that much of the the people manager in his role that that kind of massaged these things and smoothed them over and made it all digestible for everybody? I mean, it really feels that way. And if you if you go back, you know, and and certainly. Roles change, you know, uh, being the general manager is different from being the president of baseball operations, although Jed Hoyer is, is really filling both of those roles right now because they didn't hire a GM. But if you look back to the kind of the note that Theo Epstein wrote about stepping away a year early, and, and we look at one of the biggest reasons he did so was because he knew there were going to have to be some very, very hard decisions made and, and decisions that would have uh, further effects downstream than just his time that would be remaining if he was only there for another year, right? Which signaled to me at the time, I was like, I, I don't want to say that Jed was the hatchet man, but they they kind of knew that was what was going to happen. And, and not only does that mean that Hoyer was going to have to do it, but I think that he was maybe more capable of doing it than, than Epstein. And we saw kind of that, that sort of blind loyalty a little bit, whether it be to Kyle Schwarber from the very start and, and some of the other changes that they never made despite talking about the offense broke and how it's time for a reckoning. And so if you fast forward a little bit, you say, oh, well, gosh, he didn't want to make those decisions. Well, here you go. We're going to hand this over early to a guy who I know is going to have to. And I think part of that is is Jed kind of stealing himself for that ahead of time and knowing I'm going to have to get a little bit less personal and distance myself from some of these guys emotionally in order to make these moves. And, and so I think that's kind of where that went. I don't know if it's an, a wholesale organizational change, but just the knowledge of having to move on and then kind of stepping away from that emotional side that probably did run things maybe a little bit too significantly over the last few years. And the the other question that I have off of off of all this, the comments by by Hoyer and then by Rizzo, and I was just reading the comments by by Chris Bryant, who was in in Milwaukee last night talking to some folks in the Chicago media, and he says he he, he didn't get an offer. There were no there were no substantive discussions between him and the Cubs since after the 2016 World Series. How do we have this much disparity between what Jed Hoyer says went down and what Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant are saying went down? I I know that that terms like offers and negotiations are are things that that can be interpreted differently by a front office or an agent or a player, etc. But man, Jed Hoyer is making it sound like we made a real good run at these guys and Chris Bryant is saying Nobody's talked to me since the, the the winter of 2016. How do, how are we this far apart on these accounts, Evan? You know, I think there's probably a, a multitude of reasons for it, and, and part of it's just what's the motivation uh, coming from those words. You know, Jed Hoyer has to. He can't just say, "Yeah, you know what? We never really tried. Uh, you know, we 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 didn't have any money. Uh, ownership didn't want to give me anything for these guys, and uh, we didn't really think they were that worthwhile down the road. And we're not trying to compete for another two years." So if he comes out and says that, honestly, then he's going to have so much blowback, not only from internally and and above, but from the fan base as well. So, I mean, he's got to go out there and say some of those. And what he said might not necessarily be untrue. It's just probably not entirely the truth. And so I think from those players' perspectives, if they're saying, yeah, I mean, maybe there were some conversations going on behind the scenes with with Rizzo's agent or with Scott Boris, who represents Bryant, uh, you know, with with the Wasserman group, with Javi. those decisions, probably there were some things behind the scenes, but if they're not coming to that player directly, 
and if the things they're saying to the agent aren't even substantive enough for the agent to come back to the player, uh, you know, then there's a little bit. I think that's where you find that gap. But but again, I think a lot of this is it's it's spin and it's it's Jed Hoyer trying to make sure that he's uh, keeping people interested and say, you know, hey, yeah, we tried absolutely. This is where it was. And again, it makes those decisions a little bit easier to make and and maybe easier for the fans to swallow at the end. So I think it's a matter of public perception and, and just trying to get out in front of it. I, I don't know that it's again, I don't think it's entirely the truth, but I don't think he's necessarily lying uh, either. So it's just kind of the way you say things and and get people to perceive your truth is, uh, as I guess, where it comes down to. Evan Altman of CubsInsider.com, I guess, for a few more minutes here on 670 to score. Rami Makhlouf with you on a Sunday afternoon. How does this play with with potential free agents when when they see when they see hurt feelings between superstars and guys that that helped an organization win a World Series and and on the way out there there it not everybody has the same account of what happened is this is this something that's not good for the Cubs reputation when they go out and try and attract guys to to Chicago and playing for the Chicago Cubs? You know I don't think it's great. At the same time, I mean money's going to talk right. If if they get to the point where they want to spend again, that that's all that really matters. Although. You know, we we are in an age now where players do change teams a lot more frequently. Where where there's not this, you know, people aren't just uh, siloed into their own team and with their own teammates. These guys all know each other. They all work out together, you know, in in the off season. And so they they talk. I, I do think what you see, and part of what Hoyer alluded to, I think, is is early on when the Cubs were building that championship contender, they were getting guys to come and play for them for less money than they were getting offered or could have gotten offered from other teams. They, they wanted to come to Chicago and build that. I do think that, that once you've kind of removed some of that mystique, they've already won the title. Now some of that is gone a little bit, and, and I think what you have now is probably – it doesn't make, mean they have to overpay for guys moving forward, but I do think that that idea of kind of the Cubs discount is probably out the window at, at – uh, you know. And maybe that, that cost them an extra two to four million dollars. I don't think we're talking about a, a monster change, but yeah, I mean, I think there's there are some things where, um, as I mentioned before, just pragmatism takes place uh, takes priority over emotion more so than it ever has. So not a big deal, but you know, maybe maybe a little bit in terms of how much they might have to pay for guys moving forward. What kind when we're talking about paying for guys moving forward and and rebuild this rebuilding this thing up to a respectable level? What what kind of I know this is speculation, Evan, but what kind of timeline? do you think we're looking at? We were talking earlier about some comments by Tom Ricketts, who was saying that this team, this team should be playing for the division by next year. And you have to win the division to, to win a world series. And, and man, I'm cool. With, I'm cool with playing for a division by next year. And I think teams like the Brewers and teams like the Rays, they have to focus on the division and, and hope you can catch lightning in a bottle come October and, and make a deep run. But markets like Chicago, LA, New York, that's that's where you're supposed to use all your resources and stack up and be one of the teams in discussion for, for the World Series year in and year out because you have those resources at your disposal. What do you think is is the timeline that we're working at, on and, and where do you think the bar is ultimately going to be set at? Is this going to be an organization that's just trying to win divisions moving forward and hope you get lucky in October? You know, I, I do think, and, and we've heard, you know, both Ricketts and, and Hoyer say it's it's not going to be like the last time. It's going to be quicker. And, and realistically, the last one, they did kind of open that window up about a, a year or maybe two years earlier than people had expected. So, uh, I mean, that really means, you know, maybe next year is, is a little bit of a transition, but I think you have to look at, at 23. And the other thing complicating matters with uh, with this coming season is the whole 
collective bargaining agreement and whether and when that gets all all solved because I think that's going to play a huge role this winter. But, um, you know, you look at the, they've got some really good prospects outside of Brennan Davis. There still are some guys that are out there. But when we talk about the system and kind of being rebuilt, you're not talking about them having a bunch of position players who are ready to come up in 22. And, and maybe you surround those with a couple of top-tier free agents, and now you're back to being competitive. I think you're really looking at 2023 uh, to get enough of those guys up to really field the framework of a team that you can add some veterans to, uh, not to mention the pitching staff, right? I, I don't think they're in a spot right now where they're ready to go spend on two top-tier free agent pitchers that you're really going to need to be able to compete at this point. So, you know, uh, could it be another two years? Yeah, and could they be competitive? Just look at the Red Sox. I think what the Cubs need to aim for is that Red Sox model. Uh, and we've seen they've tried to emulate that before. But, we, you know, the Red Sox have jumped up, won a World Series, and then they have had kind of that lull for a little while and, and have been to the point where they've been actually really bad. But they were able to flip things, turn it around, get right back to competitiveness. And, and I think, again, when you look at the market size, you look at the money they're willing to spend, and you just kind of look at the structure and where Jed Hoyer came from, that looks like a really good model. And, and under that, they should be able to compete at least for the division, if not something much, much bigger, by 23 at the latest. Within that plan and within that model, Evan, and one more question for Evan Altman of CubsInsider.com here with Rami Makhlouf on 670 to score. With that in mind, how important is it for those purposes and also the, the public perception and a fan base that doesn't want to see a full teardown before they're back to competing, that this team gets Wilson Contreras locked up and we're not going into next season with the same type of question marks hanging over him that we saw hanging over Javi Baez and Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant for years. I mean, I think that's that's incredibly important because if you look at the, the jerseys that were being worn in the stands, you know, Contreras is really the only one left. If you look at the primary guys uh, who, who people will show up to see regardless of what the team is doing. I mean, I know a lot of people love Kyle Hendricks, but he's only out there every fifth day. So if you're looking at an everyday kind of a guy, um, unless, now the only wrinkle in that, and, and we've seen, you know, Miguel Amaya has been placed on the 60-day IL. You know, he's their other top catching prospect who could be up next year. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to say that they might be leaning on that, but if they think he can be healthy and whether he plays in the Arizona Fall League or Instructs, kind of gets that time back, that's one thing they could look at. I said, well, we got this young catcher waiting in the wings to whom we don't have to pay much money. Uh, but the fact that they didn't move on from Contreras, who easily would have been their most valuable trade chip among those players simply because he's got the extra year of control, it, it signals to me that they do want to try to build around him. Uh, catching is, is such a tough spot to find an elite offensive talent like that and a guy who, who still is uh, so good behind the plate and, and really improving in a lot of ways. So I, I do think it's going to be very interesting, but if they do not get something worked out with him, this winter, before the next season starts, I mean, we saw how that happened with the rest of these guys, where, you know, once that season started, negotiations more or less cut off, and then it was over. So if they if they don't get him done, uh, get him locked up this winter, I do think you may be looking at them, looking to make another little move there and try to go younger on the catching side. So that's that's going to be the big one, and that's one to, to definitely keep your eye on. That's Evan Altman. Find his work at CubsInsider.com. Also follow him on Twitter at DEvanAltman. And my guest for the last few minutes here on 670 The Score. Always a pleasure, Evan. Thanks for the time, man. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me on, and uh, have a great rest of the show. Same to you. Good luck to your to your boy out there. Tell him to hit one for Rami. Oh, thank you. Thanks. I'll see what I can do. Appreciate <laughs> All you. All right, take care. And he joins us on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline. Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. They, they got to get Contreras locked up, dude. They, they have to. Be, be, because of exactly what Evan said right there, 
I'm, I'm, I've been saying throughout the first hour of the show, while I have my questions and I'm not assuming anything about how, 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 how all in this team is this off season. And I'm willing to give them some time. I'm willing to give them some patience. We go into next year with question marks hanging over Wilson Contreras. That starts eroding and deteriorating very quickly, Sean. Well, before we get into the actual topic of that, I do honestly think you might get a home run from Ryan because I mean, Evan always posts his kid just, I mean, his kid's a, Oh, he, can he mash? Oh, he can mash. Really? I mean, he's he's a big kid. He can hit homers. Okay. Uh, anyways, though, Contreras, I mean, he is, I think, exactly to Evan's point. Like, you can't find elite offensive catchers out nope. in the game. I mean, you have JT Realmuto and you have Wilson Contreras. It's just about can his legs hold up. I think that's the biggest concern that you have signing him to a long-term contract, especially the, the type of innings he's caught this year so far. Now, Torinos has been able to kind of give him a break uh, around the all-star break. But that that's the biggest worry that I'd have for him is, you know, if he's not able to catch, if he does sustain an injury, you know, a la Buster Posey or, or Joe uh, Maurer. I know some of those guys were con- concussions and Posey broke a leg, but you know, what position then would he play? Would Contreras be able to play a third base? Would he be able to play a first base? That would be the, the concerns I have for Contreras. I just think for, for all, all the, the baseball things that you're talking about there, Sean, and all of them valid and true, from from a perception standpoint of of what Cubs fans are looking at right now, what they're thinking, what they're feeling about this organization and and what this next era is going to look like, it's going to be hard to sell Cubs fans on. Hey, this is this isn't going to take that long. It's not a full teardown if if the the one piece that you kept around and, and like Evan said, signaling to Cubs fans that you want that guy to be around and be the next guy that you build on by not trading him this year when he's not a rental player and has that much more value, we're all going to be looking at him with the side eye and going, what is what is this exactly and how long is it going to take? And there's, there is some talk, too, like uh, about being a leader. I think Ross has talked a lot about yep. that in, in uh, reference to Contreras. I think that might be something that they're looking for this month, September, too, is can he actually become that leader? Because then, you know, that might be something, too. You don't want to sign that guy being like, here's the face of our franchise, and then him going and attacking the club, you know, in the middle of next June because they suck. Right. Like, you know, he just did with the team. So like, that would be the worry that I think I'd have. And, and I think he, he's a, he's a fiery dude. And I don't know how long Wilson Contreras is going to sit around and take losing for, you know what I mean? That could be a combustible situation, especially if he goes into next year with the question of, Hey man, do you guys even want me? Are you committed to me and playing on a team that might be struggling or not playing at the level that he's used to playing on? That that's that's not a situation for all. We just came up with a laundry list of reasons why you don't want to go into next season with that situation. Get Contreras locked up this off season and and just put it to bed, man. And shout out to the eight four seven. They said the difference with Contreras is that he hasn't played catcher his whole career, which is true. And in, in, yeah. the, in the minors, he was converted to a catcher, so maybe he doesn't have those same long term issues because he doesn't have that that damage to his right. knees. And and if and like you said, maybe they can move him elsewhere on the field if that is the case. He's good enough an athlete to do that. They have a Maya coming up in the minor league system, so there are options there and and movable pieces, and that's that's always a good thing to have. Are there options at, and movable pieces with the Bears at Hallis Hall and trading camp? Is anybody healthy? Is anybody healthy for the Chicago Bears? We're going to talk about it with Patrick Finley of the Sun-Times right after this. Robbie Makloff with you on a Sunday afternoon on 670 The Score. He's in the building, you know, 24-7. I mean, we break in mid-June, and I come up here like on a random Saturday or something, and, and there's one car I don't recognize in the parking lot. I don't know who is a truck. And I come in the building, and I'm walking through the hallway, and it's empty. I'm the only one in the house. It's, it's kind of eerie. And around the corner comes Justin, you know, and he's up here just getting a workout at 
There's Ryan Pace talking about rookie quarterback Justin Fields, the work ethic, the professionalism of that young man in his rookie year as a quarterback of the Chicago Bears. Joining us now to talk about Justin Fields and all things Bears. He covers them for the Sun-Times. Pleasure to welcome in Patrick Finley. Patrick, how are you this afternoon, man? I'm, I'm doing good. How about you? Good. Were you, were you at practice today? It's muggy out there. Were you Were you sweating it out out there? I was indeed. Yeah, wouldn't miss it. Uh, wouldn't miss it for anything. You know, there have been days this week where we where we've gotten a nice breeze. Uh, today was not one of them. No, 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 it was not. No more injuries to report today, right, Patrick? Because they are piling up for the Bears ahead of week ahead of their first preseason game on Sunday. Yeah, what amounts to good news for them was that nothing changed from yesterday. Uh, nobody got better. Uh, they didn't uh, bring anybody up uh, uh, from. They're out status, but they didn't add anybody to it. And, you know, that's probably the first time in seven days or so we could say that. And and Tevin Jenkins probably the one that's 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 most alarming or concerning of any of them. But is is any of this something that Bears fans should be should be worried about long term, or is this this early in camp mostly just playing it safe and being cautious with these guys, making sure they're ready to go for Week One? I think you're certainly justified to be concerned about Jenkins. This is a rookie who played, what, 18% of the time on the left side in college. That's not a lot. And the Bears were counting on him growing into the left tackle role during training camp. He's yet to play a single snap. He's got a back injury. If, you know, if you've ever had a back injury, you know that they don't get better overnight. And when you're 300 pounds, they really don't get better overnight. These are important snaps that he's missing. This is a comfort level that he should be gaining that he's not because he's on the sideline. Heck yeah, I'd be worried about that right now. I realize it's only the first week of August, but look at what they've invested in their quarterbacks. You know, they traded two first round picks for Justin Fields, who they are very excited about. They gave up $10 million for Andy Dalton, who they're you know relatively excited about as well. You got to protect them. And whether, you know, if you're going to play a second or third string left tackle, even in a preseason game, there's a non-zero chance you run the risk of get one of those guys really hurt. And 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 when you talk about that, and and given what you said about his his lack of experience at the left tackle position, are they confident enough in him there that even even with a shortened camp, they'd be willing to throw throw him in at left tackle week one? And that's a wonderful question. We'll see. You know, they thought you know Elijah Wilkinson, their swing tackle from the Broncos, would give them some cover there, but he went on the COVID list. They thought Larry Borum, the right tackle from Missouri, you know, uh, could at least get a shot there, and they'd see, you know, whether he could help them there in a pinch. And then he got hurt as well. So there's there's nobody playing left tackle right now who really has a chance of playing left tackle uh, in a regular season game this year. And getting one or two or three of those guys back is going to be really really important. Talking with Patrick Finley covering the Bears for the Sun-Times. Uh, Robbie Makloff with you here on 670 The Score on a Sunday afternoon. Let, let's get to those quarterbacks. And you heard the comments by Ryan Pace. Not, nothing but but praise for, for the rookie Justin Fields so far this year in camp from him, his teammates, uh, his, his coach, and, and Matt Nagy. But almost, almost equally, almost an equal amount of praise for for the guy who's who's the starter right now, and and I presume for week one, and Andy Dalton. Would it take would it take Andy Dalton falling on his face in training camp and the preseason for Justin Fields to somehow be the quarterback of the Chicago Bears week one, which I think a lot of Bears fans would probably like to see. I think he'd have to fall on his face and go on the injured list because of it. Yes. Wow. Um, I don't know. I don't know. That bad face injury. That'd be a bad face injury. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's probably what it would take. Dalton 
they really like what Dalton brings to them right now. This is a, you know, a head coach and a general manager that need to win games. I mean, let's be honest here. If, you know, if they go four and 13 this season, even if Justin Fields looks pretty good, I mean, they're going to have some questions to answer to their bosses. So uh, Andy Dalton, as of today, gives them the best chance to win in week one. You should have heard uh, the other day, Alan Robinson talking about just the subtleties of a veteran quarterback. Alan Robinson, Andy Dalton might be the best quarterback he's ever played with to this point. Uh, and he was talking about, you know, just on a deep cross, you know, that veteran knowing exactly where to put the ball, uh, to throw him open and to, and to get it away from the defensive back. These are little things that the starters on their offense uh, can appreciate. Now, I mean, it doesn't take a genius to go to practice and see that Justin Fields is special, right. that his arm, uh, uh, the velocity and the angles from which he can throw uh, is really cool. And, my God, when he takes off and runs, and runs. I mean, Matt Nagy was talking the other day about the burst that you see even when he jogs from drill to drill. You know, that's a speed element that not even Mr. Trubisky had. And Mr. Trubisky were they very, very good luck. Uh, you know, all of those traits are loud. They all jump uh, out at you when you're out there. But Andy Dalton, you know, I think Andy Dalton would have to get hurt at this point to not start in week one. You know, having a couple of underwhelming performances in a preseason game, I don't think is going to do it. Let me. You mentioned that that Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy they, they need this this team to win football games this year. Let, let me throw two hypotheticals at you, Patrick. One one on on the on the positive side end of the spectrum, and one on on the negative end of the spectrum. Let's say, and I asked Mark Grody, our, our Bears reporter, this last week. Let's say this team we're about halfway into the season. They're four and three, five and three. Not world beaters. Not knocking anybody's socks off. The offense is efficient, but not not high powered or are doing anything all that impressive. But Justin Fields is checking off all the boxes that Matt Nagy needs to see to, to, to insert him as the starting quarterback. Do you think he risks rocking the boat if he sees room for improvement at the quarterback position, if this team is, is right there in playoff contention about halfway through the season? I think if Justin Fields is undeniable in practice, then Matt Nagy wouldn't make that move, um, even if they're 4-3 and three or 5-3, and three, something like that. But it, it would have to be it would have to be a no brainer. I think everybody on the team would have to see Justin outperforming Andy every single day in practice for him to make that. The other hypothetical I want to throw at you let's say it's let's say it's not that let's say we're about halfway through the season and we're looking at two and six or or two and seven here in the seventeen game world that we now live in. Do you think Matt Nagy and and Ryan Pace throw Justin Fields out there to try and? try and save their careers, try and save their football lives, or, or are they even allowed to do that? Oh, oh they're allowed to. I, I think the temptation would be there for sure. I mean, if it's not working, you got to change something. I mean, this is a head coach who had yet to lose a game last year and switched to Nick Foles in the third quarter of the game in Atlanta. Um, he did it because he was sick and tired of what he was seeing out of, out of Mitch Trubisky. Uh, he wouldn't do that again. You know, if they were 2-7 and seven and – he was disappointed in the way Andy Dalton was playing. Yeah. I mean, to me, the more interesting question is what happens if the offense is good and they're losing games anyway? You know, you look at this Bears defense, you don't think that that would happen. You know, it, you know the, the offense has always really been the problem here, not the defense. But if there's some world in which Andy Dalton is playing above average and they're still losing games, to me, that gets interesting because how do you fix that? You know, switching the quarterback would probably make you worse at that moment. You know, we're going to see Justin Fields at some point this season, whether it's because of injury or because he plays his way onto the roster. 
I just don't know that it'll be in the first half of the year unless something goes sideways or, like I said, if somebody gets hurt. I want to ask you about that defense in, in, in just a minute and talking with Patrick Finley, sometimes Bears reporter here, Rami Makloff with you on the score on a Sunday afternoon. But but you mentioned Nick Foles. What's what's the story with Nick Foles right now? Are are the Bears just playing sort of a waiting game with, with teams around the league that could use a veteran backup or an in Indianapolis where they need somebody to bridge between now and when Carson Wentz is healthy? Are they are they have are they in a stare down with with teams like that and going? We know he's worth something to you, and those teams looking at the Bears going, we know you don't need him, and you're probably going to cut him eventually, and he will be available. What is the story with Nick Foles right now? I don't think it's a matter of. Um, I, I'll phrase it this way: I don't think there's a market for him quite yet, and the Bears are hoping that there will be a market for him before training camp uh, is over. I don't think it would take much to get him from the Bears, probably a third-day draft pick, maybe six-round pick. Because here's the thing with his contract. He's actually more expensive to cut than to keep. So the Bears can't walk away from him uh, you know, you know, by cutting him on cut day. They, they would have to trade him uh, to move that contract, and moving that contract is probably going to be its own reward. Uh, is, is Nick redundant right now? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, there's an old saying that, you know, a closer on a bad baseball team is like a major D at McDonald's. Like, you know, you just don't need it. You know, a Super Bowl champion uh, who, who happens to be your third-string quarterback, that's a major D at McDonald's moment, man. You, you just you, you don't need him. And, and, you know, maybe there's a situation elsewhere in the NFL where he makes a lot of sense as a second string. You look at the Jets. That makes sense. They don't have a single quarterback on their roster that's thrown a regular season snap. But, you know, if – if Nick Foles wanted to go to New York, my guess is he would have gone to New York by now. Uh, you know, Indianapolis is a good example, but you know Carson Wentz spent a lot of years in Philly uh, with the you know with the shadow of Nick Foles you know lurking over him. You know, is this if you are Frank Reich, if you are Chris Ballard, do you really want to bring in Nick Foles again uh, to haunt this guy that you've decided might be your franchise quarterback? Um, that. That's questionable, I think. So we'll see. Maybe somebody gets hurt. You know, maybe you've got that moment like like the Eagles had you know, a couple of years ago with Cam Bradford uh, in acquiring him, uh, I believe, from the Vikings. Or uh, vice versa, I'm sorry. The Vikings had him from the Eagles. Maybe there's an injury that changes that. But right now, I think the Bears would love to see somebody make an offer for Nick Bowles, and it just hasn't happened yet. Patrick, if, if this Bears team is going to make some noise this year and, and a deep playoff run, I'm, I'm convinced that it's going to have to be like we saw in 2018 on the backs of, of a big year for this defense. I also look at it, though, and go, how does a defense get better when you let go of a guy like Kyle Fuller? And I think Sean Desai is going to have to be the answer to that as a defensive coordinator. What have been your impressions of him so far in camp as, as, as a coach and, and what his defense looks like and how it's going to look different from what we've seen from a Bears team that's taken steps back since 2018. Yeah, he brings a different energy than uh, Chuck Pagano did. Uh, it's just a little more frenetic, a little more, you know, just guys talking a little more, uh, guys celebrating a little more, just a, you know, a little bit of an attitude. And that's very intentional. I wrote in today's paper about the takeaway bucket, which is a laundry bucket on wheels, that every time there's an interception or a fumble recovery, the defenders, you know, wheel the bucket out dunk the ball into it and everybody goes nuts. This isn't something they would have done under Chuck Pagano. This is different. Now, in terms of what he has to do, he's got to get to the quarterback. He's got to find a way to do that. I think one of the more obvious things to do is to find different places to put Khalil Mack on obvious passing downs. 
that would make a triple team of him a little more difficult to do. He's also got to figure out what in the world's going on with Robert Quinn, the guy who had two sacks last year after the Bears gave him a five-year, $70 million contract. That is the worst performance of anybody who signed a contract last uh, free agency period, I think, by far. Uh, If Quinn figures it out and can get back to living in that 10-sack world, uh, you know, that pass rush will give the defensive backs a lot of opportunity. You know, if they can find a way to get to that quarterback, Eddie Jackson's going to be intercepting passes. Again, Jalen Johnson's finally going to get his hands on one. Uh, you know, that's, the whole defense makes sense when the pass rush that you are paying to be elite actually behaves that way. And I think that's where you've got to start if you're Sean Patrick, I know I said that was the last one, but you just reminded me of something when you brought up the takeaway bucket. I, Grody said last week when I talked to him, he was. I had the question, is the takeaway bucket going to be a thing in the regular season? Are we going to see that on the sideline? Because I think that's a great visual. You have all these guys with the chains and the different celebrations on the sideline after a takeaway. I like the visual of filling up a bucket or multiple buckets on the Bears' sideline as the season goes on. Do you know if Grody asked that question or do you know the answer to that question, will we see the takeaway bucket come regular season? The question was asked of Travis Gibson, who's oh. a, uh, an outside linebacker, uh, whether the uh, bucket was going to be uh, jazzed up for the preseason game. You know, I don't know what you do, what, you bedazzle it or sure. something? Who knows? Yeah. Uh, and, he, and he said he wasn't sure, but he didn't rule it out. So, you know, let's see what Saturday against the Dolphins looks like. Maybe uh, the takeaway bucket like uh, gets a little bit of an upgrade, but you know, they tried to switch it out for one with a basketball hoop and a basketball rim. And that hoop got broken so quickly that they went back to the blue laundry bucket. And, you know, I'm maybe I'm, maybe I'm a little, I am more old school than most of these players. Let me tell you, but I think if it was the plastic blue laundry bucket on wheels, I like that better than anything you do. That's got, you know, a, you know, a spinner, on it or uh, or anything that's flashy. I, I, I just keep the plastic bucket. First thing you said when you said it's on wheels, I, I haven't seen the takeaway bucket. First thing you said when you said it's on wheels, I was thinking throw some rims on it, throw some spinners on it, man. Make this, <laughs> it's on can... casters. It's on little <laughs> wheels. It's, it's like the wheels at the bottom of it. Like when I want to move my barbecue once every two years, it's, it's like those little tiny wheels at the bottom. <laughs> that's Patrick Finley, sometimes Bears reporter. You can follow him on Twitter, at Patrick Finley, and my guest for the last few minutes here on 670 Score. Thanks a lot. Patrick appreciate the time hey anytime have a good day and he joins me on the Circa Resort and Casino hotline Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas home of the world's largest sports book put it on some 20s man put it on some 20s with spinners on it dazzle up the dazzle up the takeaway bucket that's what I'm looking for Sean what I would like to see is Eddie Jackson pick off a ball which ha- hasn't happened in a that bit, would be no- so I would just want to see that that part that would nice. be nice yeah and then him cut to cut to the sideline him in the bucket maybe they got some hydraulics <laughs> and he's just riding up and down the sideline that would be a lot more fun. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. We have a lot of Sox talk coming up here in the last, I don't know, hour, 15 minutes I have with you on a Sunday afternoon. We'll be talking with Dave Brown of the Midway Minute coming up at 2 o'clock. You'll hear from Steve Stone at 2.20. Right after this, I want to know how Sox fans are feeling about what's in the rear view pre-Cub series and, and what's looking out the windshield post-Cub series. Robbie Makloff with you on 670 The Score on a Sunday afternoon. Swing and a miss, and the White Sox shut out the Cubs. A combined five-hitter with 17 strikeouts a season best.
Glenn Casper with the call, NBC Sports Chicago, as the Sox take two in a row from the Cubs. They go for the sweep tonight. That'll be on uh, ABC, Sunday Night Baseball on broadcast television. And, of course, right here on 670 The Score, your home for Cubs baseball. That'll be following Chris Ranji, who follows me, coming up She's saying for you, o'clock. what was it, Saturday? Oh, I don't know. She's been singing a lot lately. I'm broadcasting live from the Score Hyundai Studios, brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers. Is it going to be? Is it A-Rod's in the booth tonight, isn't he? First time since the J-Lo Ben breakup thing. Really? I think so. Oh, I did not know that. He's the worst, dude. And I don't, I find, so, I, I find myself disagreeing with so many people about Alex Rodriguez as a broadcaster, and I can't, I can't wrap my head around that, Sean. I can't wrap my head around the fact that people enjoy that dude in the booth. I think like two years ago, I would have defended Studio A Rod. I like Studio A Rod. Studio A Rod was a lot better. Booth A Rod might be some of the worst stuff in TV history. He's from Canada, but he thinks about investing. He thinks about how he handles family charities. He's from Canada, but he does all this other stuff, too. <laughs> He's so bad. Do you have the clip of him talking about how a, a, a you don't want an odd-numbered lead? You want an even-numbered lead? Or no, I'm sorry. You want an even-numbered No, you want, you want an even-numbered lead. So a one-run lead better than a two-run lead in, in Alex Rodriguez's book. I just love the bunt here. I love getting them over to third base, making the game three to one. You always want even leads versus odd leads. What? Why? The solo home run doesn't tie it, and the grand slam does not beat you. <laughs> Keep it simple. <gasps> Idiot. <laughs> that part at the end there is the. That's Keep it simple. That's the crescendo. Keep it simple. After he just talked circles around himself about how basically a two run lead better than a three run lead, he's telling us he's telling us to keep it simple. It's amazing. Keep it simple. Way too much math. Let's just bunt. Let's just see guys go base to base. Easy to follow. All these exactly. home runs. I mean, the guy guy goes from home all the way back to home, and then they get a run. It's all confusing. I got to add multiple numbers to the score that's already up there. It's a lot, man. It's, I hit it's nearly, a lot for A-Rod. I hit nearly 700 of them. Can't keep up with it. And I don't I don't like A-Rod. Like, on a, on a personal level, I don't like A-Rod. And good for you, J-Lo. Queen for getting away from that dude. I don't like a Rod. Per- I don't like the dude. I don't like the cheating. I don't like him pointing a finger in Katie Couric's face with the very, very vehement denial and all that. But man, I can admit if somebody is good at what they do, if I don't like them, like I said, I like studio a Rod that, that little thing between him. Remember the, the one-on-one with him and Chris Bryant a few years ago when the Cubs were on Sunday night baseball and they were going over like, hitting drills and hitting tips and what they're looking for when they're standing in the box. I thought that was outstanding. That's one of the cooler baseball conversations I've literally ever seen, like ever. Those two guys going back and forth, I thought was really cool. I can I can give credit. I can give props when due for somebody who I dislike. A-Rod is just bad, man. A-Rod is just bad in that booth, and I don't know what y'all are watching or listening to it, it breaks my brain when people sit there and defend a rod in the booth. Were you worried about what you saw Sox fans pre cub series? And are you worried about what might be on the horizon? Three, one, two, six, four, four, six, seven, six, seven, few minutes to talk some Sox baseball with you here before Dave Brown of the midway minute joins me at two o'clock because, and a, the Cubs, this, this current form of the Cubs team can be a, a panacea for just about anything that ails you. 
as as a baseball team, and and they certainly have been that for the White Sox. But Josh Nelson of Sox Machine talked to him a few times, friend of the show here on six seventy the score. He he tweeted this out back on August fifth. What are we at today? Today is uh what, August seventh. He tweeted this back out on on August fifth before the Cubs Sox series started. He said the White Sox are twelve and thirty five when they score three or fewer runs in twenty twenty one. They've scored three or fewer runs in 12 of their last 20 games. That was leading into the Cubs series. That White Sox offense had just sputtered, had just come to a complete halt. And then here come the Cubs and serving up pitches for for the White Sox to feast on. And we've seen them do that for for the first couple games of this series. But look look at what's look at what's ahead. And when I say when I ask, are you worried? Or, or I raise flags or, or concerns about this baseball team. I'm not talking about winning the division. They're going to win the division. Sean, you don't mind me saying that, do you? Because I've been telling Brewers fans in Milwaukee, nothing is going to derail that team winning the division this year. And people are like, whoa, slow down. You're going to jinx us. The Sox are winning the division, right? Bob Nightingale jinxed us before you jinxed us. So if you're saying it now, Bob Nightingale, I think when we won the Cleveland series like a week ago, okay. he already tweeted it. He already jinxed us. Okay. So you, it's not your fault if we don't win the if division. If they do fall on their face, we can just blame Bob yes. and, and not yeah, me. 100%. Cool. I'm always willing to pass the buck. But they have they have good teams on the horizon, guys. They got the Yank they got the twins after this, and they're they're not good. But then after that, you have the Yankees, you have the A's, the Rays. And the Blue Jays, and and that little that little stretch of struggle there, where the the, the Sox lost nine of fourteen while they were they were scoring three runs in in twelve of twenty games. That wasn't even against good teams. That wasn't even against teams that had strong pitching staffs. This Brewers offense, Brewers, this Sox offense had just kind of been killing themselves against not very good pitching staffs, and and now now we're gonna see what it's gonna look like against some of the some of the upper echelon of Major League Baseball, both both in terms of the standings and what some of these teams are going to throw out there on the mound. We'll talk about this and all things Sox with Dave Brown of the Midway Minute. He'll join me, Rami Makhlouf, next on 670 The Score. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. 